This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. Ultimately, pronatalism is pretty unhelpful to people who are not parents because pronatalism sort of says that, it's an ideology that says that people, parents and married people are more valid and sort of more fully integrated members of society than non-parents and single people. And so then once we understand that that is operating and it's sort of encoded into our systems and our society as well, we can start to recognise it when it's happening and then sort of start to call it out. Welcome to FemPower Health. Georgie here. Thank you so much for joining this discussion with Ruby Warrington, who is the author of Women Without Kids. And I would like for you to throw every expectation you have of this discussion and her book out the window. And I'm actually going to start introducing this by sharing one of the last quotes in her book, and it is by the poet Mary Oliver. What is it you intend to do with this one wild and precious life? And that's really what this is all about. So let's dive right in. Ruby, I cannot begin to tell you how excited I am to talk to you. Your book was amazing. I actually did a tapping exercise before this because I want to be fully present because this is such an important conversation and I want to make sure we do this right. And there are so many different ways to cover it. And I appreciate when I emailed you, it's just, let's just go with the flow of this because we just have to talk about it. And thank you for writing this book. Well, thank you for reading it. Thank you for reading it. <laughs> Why don't we first just do the traditional, give me your background. And then I would, I just, I have so many questions about the book. So <laughs> let's, let's dive in. <laughs> okay. Okay. Great. So, um, I'm a, I'm British by birth. I've been based in the U S for 11 years now and I have my U S citizenship, Um, and I've transitioned over the past decade that I've sort of been living here from a career working mainly as a journalist, lifestyle journalist for magazines and newspapers into a kind of author career. Um, this is my fourth book and I also, in my day job, help other people concept, write and publish their books too. So I work as a publishing consultant. Um, and it's funny, like I always... 
I talk about it in Women Without Kids, right? I loved, I have my nose in a book since I was old, since I was old enough to read and I learned to read pretty early. Books have always been such a huge part of my life. And I think that that's one of the reasons for my curiosity. You know, I've always loved to learn. I've always asked, loved to ask questions. And I think being encouraged to read a lot as a kid was part of what kind of inculcated that in me. And I was, yeah, right. You said you've got lots of questions about the book and I'm so happy to hear that because I had so many questions when I came to this subject that I needed on a like visceral level to answer and understand for myself. I don't think when I first started writing it, I realized quite the rabbit holes that I would go down um, in in seeking to answer some of those questions. Like ultimately, what does it mean to be a woman without kids, you know? Yeah, so, and it, and actually it's a perfect segue. And reading the book, I, I feel like I went on the journey that you went on in reading the book. So, you know, I didn't go on social media or anything to look at your reels to kind of get an idea of your personality or anything. I just opened the book and read it and went with the flow. And when I read the book, I thought about what my son always says about his second grade teacher. He said, I was like, you know, do you like your teacher? And he switched from kindergarten teacher to being a second grade teacher. And my son's like, you know, I don't know how to explain what I thought, but he's not what I expected. And that's all he says. And so... (laughs) I, I would say I have the same um, reaction to your book because I don't know what I had expected, but with what I read in it, it was different. And it mm. it starts out as like all this heavy, intense data about where women were and how far we've come, but how far we still have to go. And then with a little bit of your own journey, but then the last part of it is really like asking those hard questions with even your own journey more and more revealed, like your relationship with your mother, talking about your brother Mm -hmm. and your father more. And so I I started with, oh my goodness, I'm going to be so intimidated talking to her. We're going to have this like power conversation about the data on the challenges with having kids or not having kids to this like lovely woman who is just insightful, powerful, amazing, and really just asks the hard questions. So that's a very long-winded way of saying thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you for that reflection. I think, like I said, when I, I knew I wanted to write on this subject, obviously, I wasn't quite aware of where it would take me. So the book wasn't necessarily what I expected it to be either. I got everything that I needed from the writing process, like on a personal level and more and so much more. And as much as I knew that this subject, I knew that as let's, you know, to to kind of get into the subject matter, as somebody who, who never wanted to be a mother, I always, I always felt different. I always felt like there was something, I was kind of the outsider. This was an unconventional path. And if anything, I wanted to write this book to help valorize that path for anybody else who is a woman without kids, regardless of how she might have found herself in this situation. What I realized is that the taboo that exists around childless and child-free women and the, the the reason that this is such an othered path and such an unconventional and taboo path goes so deep like really into the heart of how our society is structured really to the heart of the oppression of women and the feminine as a fem- the feminine principle like through for, for centuries you know motherhood and mothering and the manipulation of our feelings and um 
capacity when it comes to motherhood and mothering and our procreative potential in general are literally at the heart of inequality, all inequality, um, all sorts of, you know, struggles for survival. It's just like such a, it really is at the heart of who we are as humans and how our societies have been structured to benefit certain individuals and to keep other individuals obvious, like honestly, in positions of, of service to the powers that be. And it just... Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I'm not, I'm not a particularly a, a stand on a soapbox and shake my fist kind of a person. I'm quite meek. I'm very introverted and sort of quiet, and have always been quite happy to just sort of like keep my head down and live my life. And with this book, I felt such rage <laughs> at times, such deep grief at other times, and such hope. Um, for the future at other points during the writing of the book, you know? So it's just, it's taken me on such an emotional <laughs> and intellectual roller coaster. And so to hear you reflecting that it was a bit like that for you is unsurprising. And I'm really, and I'm grateful that you're able to receive it in the way that I wrote it. Even the emotions you went through, I would say the way you wrote it with the facts and the concrete examples, regardless of who you are, this book needs to be read and talked about. Um, it doesn't matter if you have kids, you don't know if you want to have kids, or you know you don't want to have kids. So here's some of the things I learned, if, if I may share. You know, my family escaped Hungary, and they came to the U.S. in 1973. And I was one of the first born. So my dad has 13 siblings. He was the oldest boy, so he was the second kid. They all lived in the same house. And then as they started making money, the older kids started having their own houses. The younger kids were going to school, et cetera, et cetera. And so I grew up with basically only my family as the network. And mm -hmm. I kind of just thought that's the world. Like you always have, like the aunties would be braiding each other's hair and this community, like this massive community. And I thought I was gonna be 27 years old with three kids and married. And I grew up in Florida. Then I moved to the Northeast and it didn't happen for me. I didn't find the husband. I know there was a lot of discussion of, you know, you should get married because I think my parents thought having children would make me happy. This is obviously before egg freezing, all of these things. And I ended up having my son when I was 41. But it was kind of more just, I had these false assumptions of the way I grew up was the way it was going to be. But then mm -hmm. as I moved out of that, I learned of this whole other world that I never thought about because I was never in a different world. It was always... In Florida, most people get married young and have a lot of kids, and I had my family there too. And then I left that but thought I still had it and went with my, like, plan. But I will tell you, now I'm a single mother. My parents have both passed away. I do not live in Florida. It is effing hard. But I was on autopilot, and I am not at all saying I wish I didn't have a kid or anything like that, but... The, the path that you explain, we all now have a right to ask questions about along the way are things like, I think every woman who is having these questions, it's like a manual of like, mm -hmm. here is the reality of having a kid. So you may be on the fence or you may be someone who's the absolute no, right? Like you were in your situation. And that's what it was for me is like, holy cow, I wonder how many of us even know that those of us who chose the kid path 
that it was just like, because that's what society did. And did we actually even think about it? Because there's so many reasons to also not. And so that was kind of my like, holy cow, like I'm on society, society's autopilot. <laughs> yes. And it's funny, I've, I've spoken to quite a few mothers who've read the book my best friend being one of them who sort of left me a long voice note going, wow, I've read your book and I know I'm asking myself. And she, you know, she experienced sort of three or four rounds of IVF, quite a traumatic miscarriage during that process. And had really poured everything, heart, soul, fire, all her life savings into having a child. And it had seemed to me like she was incredibly driven by this, what we're taught to believe is this biological imperative right. to procreate. And I had always felt, because I'd never felt that biological sort of almost physical desire to have a child. I just had no reference point for that. Um, I'd always thought there was something wrong with me as a result. But it was so interesting to hear her reflect having read the book. Wow, I never even, did I, did I truly want children? Or was I just going, or was I just yeah. led to believe that I did? And I don't know if it's as black and white as one oh, answer not, or the other. I think it's an absolute, it's an absolute kind of melting pot of influences and feelings and urges and desires and needs and wants and all these sorts of things that ultimately inform our decisions about our procreative potential. Um, but what we haven't really been invited to do before was approach that sort of critically and rationally right. through the lens of our parental readiness. What are the factors that would ideally be in place for me to feel as supported and confident in my mothering as I would ideally like to be, not least for the benefit of my children, right? Um, and as I illustrate in the book, conditions are such that it, motherhood has become extremely, extremely difficult. There's so much pressure on women to be on the, on the individual, the mother, to be the be-all and end-all of what used to be a much more communally um, engaged with role, which is of, of child-rearing, you know. Undoubtedly, in the family that you were raised in, the siblings and the aunts and uncles kind of all chipped in and were all involved in the raising and the nurturing and the protection of the children, you know, which is how human beings are sort of designed to be when they say it takes a village to raise a child that's kind of what they're describing exactly. but thanks to things like immigration thanks to things like what I think of as even class immigration which you sort of touched on people individuals becoming more affluent than perhaps their families of origin and so moving to different cities living in different sorts of houses etc etc perhaps having different aspirations for their education or their careers all of these factors have sort of served to break apart those traditional more tribal sort of family structures but we haven't caught up exactly. in terms of how we think about the role of mother you know yeah there isn't there, there aren't there haven't been additional or supplementary support um, structures put in place to make up for what has been lost in this decimation of those kind of expanded family networks, which by the way, were not always ideal, you know, right. sometimes, particularly if there was a very kind of oppressive patriarchal figurehead of the family structure, then women and children were, you know, often subject to abuse in these kinds of very traditional family networks. And so women in particular having more autonomy about how, the kind of partner they want to have, the kind of career that they want to have, how many children they want to have, has been hugely beneficial and very important for women's liberation. 
And at the same time, what's been lost in the decimation of those family structures and those family networks is that support network that mothers actually need to be properly supported in their mothering. So I will say this, especially with, you know, social media and we're just in this age where we're in our homes using the filter of social media to think what real life is. We've become even further away from knowing reality. There is no like um, perfect, clean emotion, for lack of a better word. So it's not like there's ever um, this perfect, I don't have kids and it's just perfect. It's like... There's still like you may have sadness or questions because there was even the moment where you're like, what if my husband passes away? Who's going to be there for me? But these are like real, honest questions. And I'll admit sometimes naively, I think when I have these struggles, is there something wrong with me? And, And what I got out of it was thank you, Ruby, for saying no matter where you are, there's always going to be questions and doubts and they're all real. It's almost like there's no such thing as normal. There's no such thing as the perfect untainted path, which is going to lead you to a life of you know, uncomplicated bliss. Whatever path we take in life is going to come with some regrets, some challenges, some degree of suffering, you know? And I think that what I'm encouraging people to do from a very rational mind. It's, it's funny, I'm, a, I'm an incredibly emotional and intuitive person. Like all of my work projects have been in, very intuitively done. I make my decisions very intuitively. And I also have a very rational way of looking at the world, which comes from this curiosity. We think of curiosity as not necessarily rational. We think of curiosity as quite playful, but actually I always want to make sure that I've kind of examined everything from every angle before I make my um, decisions about it, before I listen to what my intuition is telling me. It's a sort of a marriage of head and heart, I suppose, is how I approach life. And I actually do, going back to what I was saying in the beginning, I do attribute that to always having been a voracious reader because I've always just liked getting as much information as I can um, to kind of inform how I'm feeling and sort of back up how I'm feeling or question how I'm feeling about things. And I think for me, growing up in a... Growing up with a, a single parent, my parents didn't officially divorce until I was about eight, but they didn't live together from the age from the age of one. Um, so I never had a household where I had both parents there. And as much as they were still sort of together and in communication, um, my mum was a single mother and she struggled. And there was often a lot of anxiety. There was often not enough money. It just was a very fraught experience. And I think as a kid in that environment I absorbed all of that and as much as I always had an just an intuitive sort of inner knowing that I wanted other things for myself other than motherhood um I do and this writing it all out and really kind of examining it on the page as I was in the writing process and the research process I came to realize that of course my experience of witnessing my mother struggle in her mothering would have influenced how I felt about becoming a mother myself. And I think ultimately my own decision not to be a mom has been the result of a sort of ongoing lifelong cost benefit analysis of becoming a parent or sort of parenting myself and prioritizing my own sort of well-being and not least my financial well-being right to put bring it down to the bottom line before putting myself at risk 
in becoming a mother. As I make the point in the book, as soon as we have dependence, we need people we can depend on. And that goes back to what I was saying about, you know, mothers used to perform their mothering in much more tight-knit community settings. There used to be people we could depend on when we were otherwise incapacitated due to the all-consuming nature of the caregiving role that we're engaged with as mothers. Yep. And I think that, yeah, I just had always a really strong understanding of that that went beyond words because I knew from a very young age, like age five, that motherhood just wasn't something that I was particularly interested in. And obviously, if I've, as I've got older and kind of, um, yeah, <laughs> been fending for myself for however long, the thought of adding the pressure of being the primary caregiver for another human being on top of all of the things I must do for myself to, to feel com comfortable and secure um, has just not ever seemed viable to me. So for those who are like trying to decide and, and are trying to figure out how do I navigate in this world, I think we've covered like what that might look like in different extremes mm -hmm. in your brave decision. But also what I took away in the book is there's a place for each of us and we all have to accept the choices and figure out how we work as a collective. And I think this is a really important point because even though we as women know we need to work together, I do still find the not so great collaboration and the competitiveness because of the world that we've had to grow into. Mm. And I know that a lot of the questions that people were asking me is like, how do I talk about it? How do people talk to me about it? How do I live in this world if this is my choice? One person was saying they had to go to, I think, four doctors before the doctor would tie her tubes. And they, this was her choice. And the doctor didn't want it. So there's like all these different flavors of, you know, navigating with friends and, you know, just so many different aspects to it. And since mm. you're deep in it and had all the survey results and, and speak to people so much, I'd love to get your take on how do those of us who are on these different paths still respect each other and live in this space and still have our needs met? And right now, let's focus on the ones who choose not to have children. Right. Well, for me, this all comes down to really knowing ourselves, really getting as much knowledge and self-awareness as we can around the root kind of causes, but like the reason we've made the choices that we have, the more confidently we can really understand why we've chosen the things we have in our lives, the more confidently we can stand by those choices when other people question them. This I learned actually from my work with my previous book, Sober Curious, which these might seem like two very different subjects. However, being a non-drinker in what I call a, a, a dominant drinking culture, where it is the absolute norm to drink, choosing to remove yourself from that brings up a lot of the same sorts of questions and divisions. Why are you not drinking? What's wrong with you? Did you have a problem? And these can be the same sort of questions. Why don't you want to be a mum? What's wrong with you? Have you got a problem? <laughs> They're very similar sorts of questions. And what I learned with um, the work I've done with Sober Curious is that the more I can get confident and comfortable with why not drinking is absolutely right for me, some of those reasons being quite painful, some of those reasons being very positive and empowered, 
the more confidently I could withstand other people's sort of questions or misunderstanding or probing about this, you know? So that's one thing. Like, and that's what I, why I wanted to go so deep into all of the different reasons, all of the very, very valid reasons not to be a parent, you know, regardless again of like how you found yourself here. Um, and then the other thing is just communication. Like I really, really want this book to be a conversation starter. If people are wondering how do I talk about this subject with my friends, read this book together and just see what comes up. Talk around the subject, talk about what comes up for you in reading this book together. Compare experiences. You know, there's one woman I interviewed, she's called Jenny Brown, and she wrote an amazing book called Birth Strike that really goes deep into the economic reasons. Um, first and foremost, why women's work and specifically mothering is so undervalued and not recognized as part of our economic system, which it absolutely is. Without the unpaid work of mothers, we wouldn't have an economy that looks the way that it does. <laughs> um, um, and she talked about how it was in their consciousness raising around this subject that with her colleagues, people she'd worked in the trenches of the feminist movement with for decades, they'd never spoken about their feelings about motherhood and let alone their feelings about being mothered, the experiences of their mothers. And so it was t coming together and actually talking about what's going on with this dropping birth rate. Is this a feminist issue? they realized that many of them had similar experiences, almost to the one that I described, of growing up in a home where their mother was very evidently struggling under the pressure that was being put on her as the primary caregiver in a economy that doesn't recognize the labor of mothering and child-rearing. And so that gave them a lot of solidarity. And so I think having these... Just being, just being open-minded enough to be able to have the conversations, not worry too much with empathy, but not worry too much about hurt, whether you're going to hurt people's feelings by saying the wrong thing, you know, accepting that actually the best way for us to connect with each other and to support each other is to understand each other and to understand we are, where each other are coming from and that that happens through open conversation. So yeah, I really do hope that people will read this book in book clubs, with their mum friends, um, with their partners, perhaps even with their mothers, <laughs> sharing the manuscript. I mean, you've read the book. Sharing the manuscript with my mother was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done and one of the most healing things that I could have done for our relationship. And what's incredible to me now, and it will make me emotional, <laughs> um, is that only now, at the age of 46, having gone through that experience of sharing this manuscript with her, am I starting to feel like I have the kind of relationship with my mother that I might have wanted to replicate by having a child of my own and realizing that I never had that relationship with her before for all sorts of reasons and that being one of the reasons I didn't want to have a child I didn't see didn't feel compelled to have a child because I hadn't had that relationship with my parent so I didn't have any reference point for something that I wanted to replicate but now as, an old, as a middle-aged woman, I am starting to have that relationship with her. And as much as part of me could say, well, how sad that I didn't have that and how sad that this didn't occur in my 20s when I would have then perhaps thought, oh, it would be really lovely to have a child and replicate that. I'm able to just be grateful that we're going to have that relationship for however much longer she has left, you know? You know, my mom died when she was 53 mm. and I didn't have my son. I wasn't married. And... Um... You know, I went through similar things and, and 
having a very difficult time with my ex and I actually saw how I was growing up and I was like, I do not want that for my son. And so I decided to, to leave my husband and I so wish that I could tell her, I now get why all these times I used to be so angry with you and so frustrated. And even her brother and I talk all the time about how none of us knew what was going on behind the scenes. And if only we knew, we could have all helped. And she held down the fort. She was 21 years old when she had me, barely started speaking English and went to school and did all these things and it drove me bonkers. I used to be so mad that all these moms would like pick up their daughters from school and take them to dance and do all these things. And I would like go home and watch TV. And I used to be so angry. And you know what keeps me going? Cause I don't get to have that mm. conversation with her is my um, uncle said, you are here to change the family history. And your job is to build a child who doesn't have to do what you went through. And my mom also gave me the strength because she knew I was independent. She kind of let me be. So on the one hand, she like knew I had it figured out. But on the other hand, I so needed a mom. So we were more like sisters and she's amazing. And it's funny because like I'm kind of like her and she used to drive me crazy. So now I <laughs> laugh because I'm like, oh my God, I do the same stuff she does. And so I'm trying to come to peace with her not being here by doing what she couldn't do amazing well thank you thank you for sharing that and I just think it shows um how powerful doing the work of getting a real understanding of who our mothers were the systemic issues that they were fighting and impacted with in their mothering you know not necessarily as a way of feeling like it's on us to forgive them for any lack of mothering that we might have received as a result but more just as a way of empathizing and accepting them for who they are and the the love that they have been able to give us and I do truly believe as you'll have learned from my book as well my mother did a huge amount of her own healing work in her mothering of me and I feel so grateful to have been the recipient of her doing the work to end patterns of dysfunction in her family and so hearing you say you're sort of doing that same thing, I have no doubt that your son is going to benefit enormously from the work that you're doing on healing this, on healing this with your mother, even though she's not physically here. Hearing what you're saying about, you know, when you're so true to your intentions and you understand why you're doing them and you're truly behind whatever decisions you make in life, how much easier it is to deal with things that may come your way that can possibly challenge that. I'd love your reaction to this. Because of how society is with assuming women are going to have kids and then having that automatic shock when someone says, but I'm not going to, how do we handle that? Because it is real and people are curious. And I know some could say, well, it's none of their business, but it's, just, it's an automatic thing. We haven't gotten to you know, the place where it's understandable that people are going to make these choices and people mm. are more used to it, right? But, you know, if I'm convinced I don't want to be a parent and someone asks me, when are you having kids? Like, I would say, oh, well, I've chosen not to and just be confidently and let it go. But I also can understand someone being, like, really frustrated and, like, festering on that comment. I think it's really individualistic. And I think it also depends on who's asking the question and the context in which they're asking the question. I feel very yeah. fortunate and I'm undoubtedly this is one of the reasons why I was always sort of confidently able to just walk 
this path of being intentionally child-free. But my parents never pressured me to have children. I never got anything from either of my parents. You know, when are you going to give me grandchildren? You'll regret it if you don't. I think my mum expressed some sadness, but maybe in like one conversation when it first became clear that that wasn't what I was going to do. And they've always very kind of live and just let me do my thing, you know? So I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I haven't had the experience, which I know a lot of people do, of getting quite a lot of pressure from their parents. Um, but again, I did get that question from the outside world continually in my 30s when I was mainly working in journalism and when everyone was kind of, all my peers were starting to have children yep. and I was that age, I was asked multiple times by different editors to write articles about my decision. And I always felt like I, like I started off by saying just sort of othered by that, but also confident enough in my own knowing that it didn't particularly bother me. So I don't know. I mean, I revert, I revert to what I said previously, which is like, I think the more we can, and even, you know, as you sort of touched on as well, there were times in my thirties, particularly towards the end of my thirties, as I was really approaching the hump of 40, which, you know, you're really sort of like, Oh, is it, this is really, we're getting to the end of the, my biological rope here sort of thing. I was almost able to, because of everybody else's assumption and projections about what I should be doing in this area, was almost able to talk myself into it. And in the end, couldn't quite sort of take the leap, you know? So that shows that for even for someone like me, that external pressure can be really, really intense. Again, I, I don't think I can give a one size sort of fits all answer about how to respond in those situations beyond come on, have, have in your back pocket all of your reasons, you know, and if somebody really is being intrusive about it, then feel free to get really raw with them about it, you know, um, because I know that as soon as I'm a mother, I'm going to feel completely unsupported by our dog-eat-dog capitalist society, and I'm not going to be able to give a child the care that it needs, so actually this is possibly the most loving decision for any future children I might have had had situation, had circumstances been difficult, you know, de depending who's asking. Um, I think this can be particularly painful, of course, for people who want to have children and who are either experiencing fertility issues or who are having a really hard time finding someone they want to co-parent with, etc. Some of the most, some of the more sort of emotionally painful reasons for not being able to have a child. And that was going to be my next question is that because that's one where it's not like you decided, sort of decided for it's you kind of happening yeah, to exactly. you in terms of the fertility issues. I discovered a book in my research called Countdown that came out in 2020 and it actually sort of draws on new research that shows that human fertility has massively declined over the past four decades. Sperm counts have halved since the 1980s. Um, ovarian reserve, which is, you know, talks to how many viable eggs a woman has sort of um, in relation to her age, has also massively dropped over that same time period. And this is largely put down to environmental issues, in particular microplastics in the food and water supply, which are pretty much yep. unavoidable at this point. The author of that book even describes, you know, the um, apparatus that newborn infants come into contact with in the hospital are often going to be, you know, depositing plastics into their system, then we'll even be absorbing microplastics in utero. So it's pretty impossible to avoid this at this point. And as much as, you know, having that information isn't necessarily going to take away the grief 
or help someone handle the grief of not being able to have a child that they desperately want, it could at least give them somewhere to direct any anger that they might feel about that rather than directing the anger towards themselves for having somehow biologically failed to do this thing that we're all supposed to do. That anger could then be turned towards, you know, governments who refuse to enact serious policy about addressing issues to do with the climate, you know? Um, So finding kind of other outlets for rage, anger, grief, disappointment that we might feel around this and realizing that actually if we're not able to have the children that we want, it's not really ever our fault, you know? It's not because we have failed or there's something defective about us a lot of the time. And this will come, this can absolutely apply to difficulties that people have in terms of finding, you know, a partner as well. It's just so much harder to meet people <laughs> in the world. And the dating, dating kind of industry has become so transactional that people get very burnt out trying to meet people in that way. And so, yeah, I think getting informed about the, again, sort of larger structural issues that are impacting fertility, impacting our ability to form deep relationships with people um, could potentially just offer some other outlets for more challenging feelings about that. FemPower Health is pleased to partner with the upcoming FemTech and Consumer Innovation Summit. The summit is the latest deep dive event, part of the Women's Health Innovation Series, looking to tackle this growing sector of women's health, having had continental success in driving innovation, investment, research, and partnerships in traditional women's health care by bringing together critical stakeholders. Join us in New York on June 7th and 8th as we channel this success into the consumer sector of women's health. Visit www.femtechconsumerinnovation.com to view the superstar speaker lineup and enter code FEMPOWER15 for 15% off your ticket. Hope to see you there. I think back to people who've gotten Mm. married before me, people who've had children before I did, and I think what a crappy friend I was to them because I had not been in their shoes. So you know what I do now? I reach out to the people who are about to be in the shoes I've been in. And I'm like, here's how I can help you because I know exactly what needs to. And then when people approach situations that I've never been in, I say, I've never been in your situation. So I literally have no idea what to do. Can you please tell me? I promise you, I really am here. I'm not not offering help because I don't want to. I Mm -hmm. literally don't know how to help. Like I have a friend going through cancer right now cancer treatments. I'm like, I haven't had cancer. I literally don't know what you need. If you want soup, I'll bring it. So I check in. Do you need soup today? Do you need this? So, I mean, is that really another way maybe we can look at this is try to trust in the best of intentions. Yes, there's going to be jerks. Maybe they come out of our friends, a circle of friends and we focus on the people we can have this dialogue with. I think so. And I think just again, just the more vocally and openly we can have these kinds of conversations, even like podcasts are so great for this very reason, right? Us having this conversation is going to empower, embolden other people to potentially raise some of the kind same topics. Well, I mean, the, the you know, I unpack um, a concept, the concept of pronatalism in the book which people might have heard kind of applied to um, various policies that are designed to encourage people to have children, like offering tax credits to parents or 
definitely not in the US, but in Europe, for example, really extensive paid parental leave for men and women, um, these sorts of policies. And ultimately, pronatalism is pretty unhelpful to people who are not parents because pronatalism sort of says that it's an ideology that says that people, parents and married people are more valid and um, sort of more fully integrated members of society than non-parents and single people. And so then once we understand that that is operating and it's sort of encoded into our systems and our society as well, we can start to recognise it when it's happening and then sort of start to call it out. And oftentimes, yes, that might mean sort of saying, hey, that's actually not okay," (laughs) And doing a bit of educating as to why it's not okay, you know, to to hold certain unconscious beliefs and prejudices against non-parents. How do you feel now that you've written this book? Like, I, I, um, I mean, you're right. The way you think it was truly brilliant. I hope that people read it and I hope that they have conversations because this is like a conversation starter. Like, mm. so I guess, how do you feel? Like, do you feel proud? Is it hard for you to feel proud? Like, I, um, it's very interesting. Like, as, as artists, I'll call myself, an, I'll think of myself as in the artist category, They'll often, people will often say, if you're really confident about a piece of work, it probably means it's not as good as you think it is. <laughs> and that, you know, you're, you, you could probably do with some revising it. And I remember sending this book out to people that I admire, authors um, largely, for advance endorsement. And just, and even during the writing process, just really feeling like, wow, this is such a huge topic. I don't know if I've got it in me intellectually and empathetically to do this justice and feeling very nervous and when I got my advance endorsements back I was so relieved because what I repeatedly heard from people was what you have said which have reflected to me which is this is so thorough and this is delivered at exactly the right pitch to speak to people in a really helpful way because I haven't seen this done before which is to speak to both the people who don't want children and the people who can't have children. I think traditionally we've seen these as very divergent paths, although the end result might look the same from the outside, the inner journey is very different. But I really wanted to speak to anybody and everybody who identifies as a woman without kids, including sometimes mothers who might be wondering, did I do the right thing? Am I cut out to be a mother? I don't know if I signed up for this. Sometimes I sort of wish I didn't have kids and I wanted to speak to all of these different groups and I was very unsure if that was even possible but what I've heard back repeatedly is that I have that people women without kids of all different kind of experiences are feeling seen are feeling validated are getting value from the book so that's been incredibly gratifying so I have been feeling I wouldn't necessarily say proud of myself relieved (laughs) relieved (laughs) That I've that I've produced a piece of work um, that is being received in the way that I intended. Um, on the brink of it coming out in the world, I'm feeling quite nervous. Oh, I'm just sure. because there is this is such an emotionally charged topic, and I'm feeling, um, you know, my own codependent tendencies. You you talked about wanting everybody to like you and wanting everybody to be happy. That's a sort of a sign of codependency to an extent, you know, please love me, don't reject me. I'm feeling, I suppose, just 
the responsibility that comes with tackling a subject like this, given the central role and the often very painful role that it plays in people's lives. So I'm feeling the weight of that responsibility. And also, there are forces at play in the world that do not want this conversation to be had. And these forces, the same forces, for example, that have you know, brought about the, the rolling back of Roe v. Wade, um, the same forces that are hell-bent on painting childless women as selfish and ushering in, ultimately, the end of humanity as we know it. These are very vocal, um, often quite aggressive voices, and so I'm nervous and wary about coming under their fire, which I undoubtedly will do. And I'm feeling a real sense of sisterhood and solidarity among people who know this book is needed. So thank you for showing me that today. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just really hopeful that women coming together to speak out on this issue, inspired by this book, is going to be, um, yeah, a really positive force for change in the world. Well, I will give you back your advice, which is when people do come to you in a not so nice way, just remember, you did this for a very good reason, and it is a very thorough book. It is such an honor to have this platform to give amazing people like you a voice and to have these tough conversations. And I truly hope that both you and the listeners feel like we did this conversation justice and that at the end of the day, regardless of who you are, where you are on that spectrum, that you feel heard and that you feel like you are you can be a better friend to those who are on different paths than you like that's what I hope and that's so important that last piece that you said like supporting each other whatever our decisions whatever life has brought us um is so important thank you for doing something so powerful with your journey like truly thank you Thank you for tuning in to this discussion on the FemPower Health podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to information that is referred to in this episode. And if you like this episode and found it timely and valuable, please take a moment to tell a friend or a colleague about FemPower Health. And right after this episode is over, please think of one person who might find this episode helpful and tell them about it. And if your friend is new to podcasting, please show them how to subscribe to our show. And another way to support FemPower Health Podcast is to leave a review where you listen to podcasts. And as a reminder, the information shared by FemPower Health is not medical advice, but for information purposes to enable you to have more effective conversations with your doctor. Always talk to your doctor before making health-related decisions. Additionally, the views expressed by the FemPower Health Podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. See you next week. Thank you for joining us on another enlightening episode of FemPower Health. No matter where you are in your journey, our website is brimming with content tailored to your specific topic of interest or life stage. Dive in and discover the resources and insights waiting for you. Your voice matters to us, and if you found value in this episode, 
please take a moment to write a review. Your feedback not only helps us improve, but it also helps others discover our podcast. By spreading the word, you're empowering women everywhere with the information they need to navigate their unique health journeys. And if this episode resonated with you, please don't keep it a secret. Share it with friends, loved ones, or anyone you believe would benefit from the information. Together, we can create a world where every woman feels supported, informed, and empowered. Remember, knowledge is power, and FemPower Health is here to guide you and support you in every step of the way. And as a reminder, the information shared by FemPower Health is not medical advice, but for informational purposes to enable you to have more effective conversations with your doctor. Always talk to your doctor before making health-related decisions. Additionally, the views expressed by the FemPower Health podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Until next time.